0: The Denver CityCast is presented by Bett Rivers. Bet Rivers Sportsbook is the industry leader when it comes to online sports betting and it has you covered for the NFL season. They're offering same-game parlays in all pro football matchups. They're bringing back their Reduce the Juice promotion on game days. In this NFL season, they have a $1 million Beat the Spread Challenge with thousands of dollars given away each week. Pro football betting is more than rewarding at BetRivers. Download the app or go to BetRivers.com to bet.
1: This is the Denver CityCast with Holden Kushner presented by BetRivers.
0: Hi, my name is Holden Kushner and welcome into the Denver CityCast presented by BetRivers. I want to thank BetRivers and VEASAN for giving me this opportunity to bring so many great things to the table when it comes to sports betting. Now, I'm going to tell you what this podcast is all about in just a minute. But first, it's story time. I like to tell a little bit about myself before we get into things. So the story I'm going to start with has a moral, and that would be to gamble responsibly. So I'm living in Las Vegas. This is about 20 years ago. And that's where I learned how to sports bet. I moved out there, did a national radio show, and i learned mostly what not to do when you're sports betting that's the most important lesson from this one so i was at a casino called mandalay bay and out of mandalay bay in the sports book had a sports talk show there on saturdays and sundays we did six hours and we talk about all the games that were going on well that night i decided to go to mandalay bay not working not working just going into the sports book and placing some bets. And it's so much easier now. Now you can go on your phone, bet rivers is there, boom, 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 I'm done. But back in the day, I was trying to win money in the sports book. So I'll also preface this by saying, boy, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was not making much money at all. I had about $500 in my checking and savings account on the night that I decided to go to the sports book and this debacle went down. So I place a $100 bet on a baseball game. I don't know exactly which game it is anymore, but I know that I put a $100 bet. Basically, not only 20% of my bankroll, 20% of the money that I had in my account. So I go up there, I place the bet, and I walk out. During the game, I'm playing a ton of blackjack. Not a good idea. I'm drinking, I'm not sober whatsoever at this point. I'm just going to be brutally honest with you because that's the way I am so I'm not right of mind and by this time honestly I'm wasted and I was watching some of the baseball game things were going well but I got bored so I come out I play the blackjack and I end up emptying my account the $400 whatever cents that was in there I lose it like that just bad 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 practice so I go back to the book and I'm watching the baseball game And the baseball game's not going too well. And finally, the bet lost. And I'm thinking to myself, I have like 11 cents left in my account. I went through every single thing in my account only to lose at blackjack and to lose the biggest bet at that time in my life, $100. $100 20 years ago to a guy that wasn't making much money. Whew, no bueno, no bueno. So I didn't have a way to get home. Out front, there was a cab. And I feel horrible about this to this day. I really do. I wish I knew the cab driver's name because I have never, ever done this since. And I had never done it before. This was an act of desperation. I'm not sober. The guy drives me. I had him drop me off at a strip mall three blocks from my house, open up the door and sprint home. Guy can't catch me. Guy doesn't know who I am. I feel absolutely awful about that to this day. Awful. I don't feel good about it. So what is the moral of the story? Again, story time. It's always going to have a moral. Gamble responsibly, okay? Bet responsibly. If you have a $1,000 bankroll, don't bet $1,000 on one night. Don't bet $500 on one night. Bet what you're comfortable losing, but there should be a certain amount of bankroll that you're willing to lose. So if that's 10% of your bankroll, 20% of your bankroll, I just recommend if you're a new better and you put $250 in, $500, $1,000, don't bet it all on one bet. Don't do it. Just don't do it. All right, that's story time. Let me tell you what this podcast is going to ultimately consist of. We are going to have a lot of fun. Sometimes I'll teach you how to bet, okay? A lot of our listeners already know how to bet, so it's easy. Just fast forward through that part. No big deal. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think, about the Denver sports teams, and I'll tell you what I think about them from a sports betting perspective, like the Broncos. The Broncos, no bueno, not good right now, but just because a team is bad or an organization is bad doesn't mean we can't make money on them. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of looking at them plus four and a half against the Browns right now, and I'm thinking, oh, Thursday night football, some banged up Cleveland Browns players, important ones, running game is trashed, Baker Mayfield hurt again. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm thinking about that. So we'll talk Broncos. Going to get you ready. In, in this episode, we're talking Broncos. I'm going to get you ready for the Nuggets Season 2. Just touch on the Nuggets a little bit at the end, and then the podcast will return on Wednesday. We'll talk Nuggets. All the betting angles. The season previews. And in a little bit, I'm going to be joined by Nick Ferguson. Nick is a former NFL player, former Bronco, now does radio here in Denver. But... Let me get into my thoughts on yesterday's Broncos game because it was a complete debacle, okay? The Broncos, by the way, have 44 losses since 2017. 44, that is seventh most in the NFL. So right now, over the past few years, they have been lumped in with the dregs of the league, and it is really disappointing considering how storied of a franchise this is. But we'll start with the coaching. And I thought it was a bad hire a couple of years ago. I thought it was a bad hire last year. And I thought that Vic Fangio might be a dead man walking coming into this year. Although, you know, there's a lot of talent on this team. So possibly, just possibly, the Broncos could get into the playoffs. I think that would have been terrific. Am I bailing after six games on the playoff hopes? Yes. Vic Fangio got out coached by John Gruden's substitute head coach. Basacchia, whatever you want to call, famacchia, everything delicious I love Italian food. A little bit Italian here in my blood too. But he got out coached by a guy who was a lifetime assistant in the midst of this whirlwind of chaos in Vegas with the Raiders. And he goes out and makes some awful mistakes. So first of all, Tough to back the Broncos yesterday for the sole fact that, and I know people are going to say this, I thought the Raiders actually had that nice week to come together. Last week was the time to bet against the Raiders. Complete dysfunction. Complete dysfunction. Gruden was still the head coach. The story's out there. Now the Raiders had a week to kind of get going, get back together. Very difficult week, but Derek Carr seems to be an amazing leader. So first things first, Fangio must go. He will be gone by the end of this season. The timing right now, we could talk to Nick about that in just a little bit. But he was outcoached by a substitute teacher slash head coach. Here's another one. Slow start. Slow start. How do you have so many slow starts on this team? Raiders come out, shove the ball right down the Broncos' throats. I mean, big pass plays. Henry Ruggs a couple of times yesterday. Then we look at Teddy Bridgewater. They still need a QB. The Broncos still need a quarterback. Drew Locke's not the answer. Teddy Bridgewater is a placeholder. That's what he is. Unless you have an elite defense playing at an elite level in a great running game, you got to have a good quarterback. I think it's pretty simple, and the Broncos don't have that. Teddy, you know, three interceptions. I think two were on him. A couple of nice passes, too. But the problem is he misses so many open receivers. Like he'll be looking left. Maybe Tim Patrick is wide open on the right side, just misses him, and it happens consistently with him. What is Shermer doing? What is Pat Shermer doing as the offensive coordinator of this team? Somebody want to tell me? Why is Noah Fant in the block? Now, he had almost 100 yards receiving on Sunday, but why is he left in the block with multiple penalties? The scheme doesn't seem like it's right. And what about Javante Williams? I actually am a Melvin Gordon fan. I think this guy had a top-five ball-carrying speed. Like, you go to next-gen stats, he was the fourth or fifth-fastest ball-carrier At one point in time this season, he's been effective, but they split time here. And when you see Williams in the game, what you see is a young man that is much more talented than Melvin Gordon, that brings more energy than Melvin Gordon. And I'm not saying that Melvin Gordon should just be left out of this offense because he shouldn't. He has a very good role. But for Williams to be in a 50-50 timeshare with Gordon at this point, it's not right. He he should be touching the ball 60-65% of the times. He's the more explosive player. I get it. You look at the film, sometimes misses holes, sometimes too patient, not patient enough. The whole offense is just a debacle. And last but not least, Ronald Darby. I mean, he's back but he was burned multiple times by Henry Ruggs. The big plays continue to happen. Now, despite all this stuff that I I just talked about, I'll talk about the Broncos plus four and a half on a Thursday night later on in the show, and actually we'll probably discuss it with Nick here in just a minute, but boy, this organization is in shambles. They need an owner, they need a head coach, and they need to upgrade the quarterback position. I know it seems like I'm being tough, But just because a team is not good doesn't mean we can't profit on them. And that is what we want to do here on the Denver City Cast. Okay, let me just quickly look at 10 bets from this weekend. The Bet Rivers Bet Rewind. Okay, I'll go through some of the player props, the spreads, the totals that we had during the week. And go through my process on what I liked about these bets. Now, I did think that the Broncos could win straight up but I did back the Raiders plus four. Why? Again, the Broncos ended up cleaning up on the worst teams in the NFL the first three weeks of the season. So the Broncos aren't that bad. They aren't one of the dregs of the league. They're more like mediocre bad. They're bad, but they're not the worst. So plus four on the Raiders. I blocked out all the stuff with Gruden. I thought a week the the last week was the time that the Raiders were going to struggle. This week was the time they're going to come together. Derek Carr, a great leader. Great leader. He truly is. They went out and they won. Does that mean the Raiders are going to win next week? Absolutely not. Their next game, who do, they can get blown out. This one was the one where they were coming together. Second of all, the total. I thought the total was kind of right where it was. Didn't bet it. But boy, oh boy, was yesterday something special. 58 points. If you bet the over, it was easy. Raiders points, just 19 and a half. I uh, kind of like the over there. And they scored 34. 2 0 on these bets. Denver points. Under 24 and a half. It ended up at 24. Did not bet that one. Henry Ruggs, first touchdown. First touchdown, this is a strategy that I think a lot of you can get into. First touchdown, what I do normally is pick four players at enhanced odds. You're going to get, you know, plus seven, eight, 900. Maybe take a a shot on a 20 to one. But I place four bets down, and if one of those bets hits, then I'm automatically making money no matter what. Ruggs was not one of the guys that I had to score first half touchdown this week, lost that bet. Teddy Bridgewater, over 250 and a half passing yards, lost that bet. Carr, over 263 and a half passing yards, won that bet, 331 yards passing, Again, this Denver secondary continues to get burned for big plays. Won the Fant over. He was at 45 and a half. He had 97. Won the Sutton over, 61 and a half. He was at 94. But my biggest, most disappointing loss this week was Javante. Javante over 53 and a half yards. He ended up with 53. Again, I thought he was going to get more work, but he didn't. And Gordon actually looked good. Coaching staff still limiting Williams touches, 14 to 13 Williams over Gordon. But boy, that, uh, uh, that was a rough one for me. Well, let's talk some more Broncos now with my buddy, a former Bronco, a longtime NFL player, and a Denver radio personality, Nick Ferguson, joining us here on the Bet Rivers Denver Citycast.
1: When the game starts, the betting doesn't stop at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Live betting is fast paced and gives you a chance to pick up some value as the game unfolds. Whether you're looking to find plus money opportunities, hedge your bets, or invest more in your favorites, live betting at Bet Rivers delivers an exciting sports betting experience. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com or download the Bet Rivers iOS app. Must be 21 gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler. Playable only in states where Bet Rivers is licensed. And in New Jersey at Play Sugar House.
0: Nick Ferguson, longtime NFL player, played for the Broncos. He's got a, uh, he's got a Denver radio show as well. It's wonderful to have him on the show. Uh, he and I did a, a little test show <laughs> for radio one time, and I know we worked at a place called TuneIn as well. Terrific on the air, terrific former player. Nick, thank you so much for hopping on the Denver CityCast. You're our first guest, so I'll have to give, get you a gift card to somewhere really cheap.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Talk about cheap date. Wow. That's that's the way we want to start it off, but uh, Holden, is great to be on with you, man. And the only thing I can say in the words of one Tom Brady, let's go! It's my boy. It's my boy. Let's do it, Nick. Oh,
0: boy. Oh, boy. Yesterday was a debacle. There's there's no doubt about it. And there's just so many issues. And when I talked to you recently, you talked about the coaching. You know, I think more than anything, when you are getting out coached by John Gruden's substitute teacher, you got a major problem, don't you? Talk to me about the coaching yesterday with Fangio, the two lost challenges, and really how I think the Raiders out schemed them.
2: Agree or disagree? No, no. Uh, this happened for the third straight week. And y- you put it, Uh, correct when you said substitute teacher. not want to take anything away from the Raiders coaches, but no John Gruden. We know what happened Uh, a week ago, the emails, and we're like, maybe we're going to get a team that was feeling sorry for themselves and the Broncos would be able to take advantage of it. But that was the total opposite holding. And for me, I look at Greg Osa, the OC for the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, all the play calling duties were handed over to John Gruden. And Olsen worked with Derek Carr years ago, so it was almost like riding a bike. And those two were like like in sync. And we didn't we didn't see like a what I would say a massive explosion from Derek Carr, but just looking at the way that he threw the ball down the field, I was describing to someone yesterday when Carr was throwing those balls in the air, it was like he was lobbing those balls in the air, so like Nikola Jokic shooting free throws. I mean, and, and shooting three point shots. You're thinking when he leaves his hands, no, that's not going in. That's not going to be a reception. But all of a sudden, it was a big reception. And the Broncos, for the third week in a row, they seem to be out scheme, unprepared. Uh, at moments, look, uh, likes of days ago, we'll get to court and sudden later on. But that's exactly the way that I, that I saw it. And, and now, if you're a player for the Denver Broncos, you're thinking, okay, well, how do we get the train back on the tracks? Mm-hmm. And you got a short week against a cleveland browns team who have they have an excellent pass rush but they're beat up as well
0: yeah that's the good news uh for the broncos at least chubbs beat up hunt has a calf strain he's out at least a month in all likelihood baker mayfield with that left shoulder issue he's been able to play through it but you're right i mean the broncos and the browns the browns are probably more beat up than the broncos at this point uh so many things to get to so Uh, Let's start, you talked about Cortland Sutton. Let's break down the offensive performance yesterday. You know, Teddy threw three picks. I thought two were really on him. Uh, Let's talk about the quarterback play because in my estimation, I'll say this again, you're either coaching up a mediocre quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater or you just need a new coach and a new quarterback. What were your thoughts on Bridgewater's performance yesterday?
2: Well, it was the the most disappointing thus far this season. And, you know, Teddy hasn't really... Turned the ball a little, and that's been the one thing for him. You know, ball security. And, and I agree with you. Uh, two of those interceptions you definitely want to have back. Uh, one of them, you know, you can say, okay, I think Eric Saubert, uh, the ball hit his hands. You, you would like for him to catch that ball. But uh, it didn't really happen that way. But I, for me, and I don't know how you you, you see it and you tell me how, how what you think about it. When we see games like this, I say you, it's kind of a, like a relationship, right? A marriage. You're dating someone. Is either 70-30, 60-40, 50-50 as where you want to lay, lay blame and responsibility. So when I look at this, I say, well, this is kind of a 60-40 thing and the reason I say that, 40% on Teddy, 60% on Pat Shermer because Pat Shermer's play calling hasn't really been that, re- that much creative. And when you look at it, the Broncos t- you know, typically start off slow. This was kind of the first game you know, an opening drive that they were able to score in the first quarter. So kudos to them for that. But when the offense becomes stagnant and, and it's been that's happened in the past three games, it's like all of a sudden Pat Sherman has this epiphany, right? He's like, oh, now let's go up-tempo. Let's go hurry up offense. And we see a certain flow to the offense timing, routes, guys running curl routes, out routes. And it seemed like the offense in some kind of a sink. And I said, you know what? Let me think of this. I never call plays in the NFL, but how about this for an idea? Why don't you go up tempo the entire game? Right? Establish some form <laughs> of reason. And I'm just like, well, well, h- how crazy is it for an offensive coordinator to realize when your offense is in some kind of a rhythm and you're able to move the ball down the field? It's not when you're going like this slow, methodical pace. It's when you're, you know, have that up tempo. So. Uh, that's kind of one of the bigger issues that you know we're constantly talking about, Vic Fangio side of the ball, but more importantly, Pat Shermer. And here's another question: If the Broncos lose on the short week to Cleveland, now do we rev up that temperature on Vic Fangio, but more importantly on Pat Shermer?
0: Well, I think Pat Shermer has got some major issues too, which is the next thing I want to get into. And we're talking with uh, a five-year career with the Denver Broncos, you know, with the Jets, with the Texans, the five years playing safety here in Denver. Nick knows the area well, local radio host as well. But the offensive identity is the question. Are they a running team? Are they a passing team? What are they doing? So I think to me, you start in the backfield. Javante Williams. There has Watch a little tape on him. There are times where he's a little indecisive, but ultimately... Javante Williams, isn't he the more talented guy? Isn't he the guy that brings more energy? I love what I've seen out of Melvin Gordon this year, by the way. Top five ball carrier uh, in speed on the next-gen stats. He lo- he's looked pretty good. But at what point in time do you get the young buck out there to take this job, or at least 60 65% of the carries, Nick?
2: Well, you know, I, I would look for this week for that to happen. Now, I, now, I'm telling you that, but I'm not Pat Shermer so I don't know what's swirling around in his head. But uh, it's great to have two complementary backs as the Broncos would have faced with the Cleveland Browns and look how they've kind of managed things, you know, with with Chubbs and Hunt. But at some point as a running back, you you need to be inserted into the lineup and and receive a lot of plays early to kind of get into a rhythm. There's two plays here, three plays here. You're not able to establish a form of a rhythm. I mean, as a guy that played, you know, safety in this league for 10 years, I can only imagine what it's like for you to go in as a safety for four plays and then they sit you down and then you have to go back in. You're a little cold, you're a little rusty, you're not able to get into the flow of the game. So I would like to see Javante Williams start to receive a bulk of the carries. I think that he's earned it up to this point. Now, don't get me wrong, he's still a young back and he still has a lot to learn. But here's from what we've seen, and it's to your point, when he has the ball in his hands it seemed like he runs with a little more authority than maybe that of Melvin Gordon. And Gordon ran like that coming out of Wisconsin first couple of years with the Chargers. But as of late, he hasn't really run with a sense of urgency. And I like Javante Williams. I loved him when he was with the Tar Heels because he's, he was one of those types of backs like Corey Dillon. When I played Adrian Peterson, guys who look for contact and he runs through arms t- tackles. So, You know, it'd be great to see him receive, uh, you know, more carries, but everything goes back to Pat Shermer. Will he have that type of creative frame of mind where he can put Javante Williams in a position to be successful?
0: It's a big question mark. It really is. So you said that Gordon really isn't running with the same authority or maybe the sense of urgency there. Yeah. Give me a little scouting report on what you've seen from Gordon. Because I've, I'm actually a, a Melvin Gordon backer. I think he's a little faster than people think. I think he's got better hands than people think. But ultimately, you've got a guy that he's going up against that's just fresher and probably more talented when it comes down to it. But give me a little scouting report on what you've seen from Melvin Gordon. And if Williams gets the bulk of the work, what kind of role is Gordon going to have then?
2: Well, I'll start with the latter first. If Devontae Williams received the bulk of the carries now, you know, you look at Melvin Gordon just as though you describe pass-catching running back out of the backfield. It reminds me of when I was growing up and the Giants had Dave Megan, right? I mean, Melvin Gordon could be that type of guy. And that was something that the Broncos coming into this year, they definitely wanted to work on. And I saw that in training camp, working on certain pass routes. But we haven't really seen, once again, Melvin Gordon utilized in that particular way. So when I break Melvin Gordon down, I see him as, as a guy who can be a complimentary back. He has good hands. He has good explosion, but he doesn't run with the same level of authority that he used to. And in tra- at the beginning of the training camp, we saw a whole different Melvin Gordon. He cut his hair. He, he, he shedded a couple of LBs. He looked entirely different. He looked faster. But I'm not really seeing that on a consistent basis. That's the mm-hmm. thing. I'm not saying that, you know, he can't do that. And I'm talking down about him. I just want to see him do it more consistently because when it comes to the NFL, no matter what position it is, it's about consistency. I mean, that's why Drew Locke is not the quarterback because he wasn't as consistent as he needed to be. But as a running back in this league, you have to show that you can be consistent. You have to show that you can be an every down back. And right now, Melvin Gordon isn't showing as though he can be that guy.
0: All right, so then you look at the Williams side of things. Like, what do we need to see out of him at this point for him to get these carries? I, I, I just don't understand the hesitancy not to give him the ball. Is it Fangio just being old school? Is it Shermer just being old school and these guys are going to give the lean to the veteran? It just doesn't make sense,
2: Nick. Well, you I mean, you mentioned old school. Old school work in certain things. It works in a movie, in the old school. But when it comes to <laughs> football, it's... It, when it comes to football, you can't have that old-school frame of mind. Just think about some of the offensive coordinators we have in the league now and why they're offensive coordinators. Kellen Moore, why is he now the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys who look like Super Bowl contenders? Because he brings that young perception and those ideals to the game. And both Big Fangio and Pat Shermer, they are really old-school, right? And some of their play calling and how they approach to the game is not really working. And some, and, and when you think about old-school... The old school mentality is, hey, I got a young back. He needs more reps. And the more reps he receives, the better he gets. And we don't want to start a running, a young running back. I'm like, look, you moved up in the second round to get it. You did that mm-hmm. for a reason. Stick him in there. See what happens. Because here's what we do know. Melvin Gordon is on the last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. And Javante Williams is going to be your bell cow. Also, Mike Boone made a return as well. And George Payton went and grabbed Mike Boone from Minnesota for, for a reason. So for me, you can have a one-two punch where Javante Williams and Mike Boone and still have Melvin Gordon as your complimentary back. And each one of these guys have a, and they have a special skill set. The only problem with the scenario is the guy who's calling the plays. I mean, you, got, you, got, you have three great backs. I'll put it, put it to you that way. Boone has just come back from, from IR. But why is it that Pat Shermer can't do with these three backs what Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland has done with two backs? I mean, is is he that much smarter than Pat Shermer? I don't know. All I know is what I'm seeing on Sunday, and it doesn't look great.
0: Is Williams as talented as Nick Chubb or a Kareem Hunt? Just talent. He's not there because he's not a veteran, but is he as talented as those two guys or
2: maybe more talented? No, he's just as talented as those guys. Once again, I I go back to the fact of we look at running backs and we look at how those running backs have been devalued in the NFL. Okay, we can agree on that. But with that being said, no one's taking running backs in the first and second round. And no one's moving up to take a running back in the second round. So when you do it, you're doing it because you see something special in that guy you're taking. And all you have to do is go back and YouTube, if you haven't seen it, Javante Williams highlights from North Carolina. I mean, he's running through dragging players and he's pushing the pile. And this is the type of running back you need in today's game because it's a cliche saying, but it's definitely true. In order to have an effective passing game, that you need to complement that with a run game because now you can run play action. You can open up all sorts of passing windows down the field. And I mean, look, I played for both Gary Kubiak and Mike Shanahan. And that was one of those things. They used a run to set up the pass. And this, and when you think about Broncos history and Super Bowl history, John Elway does not become John Elway if it was not for Terrell Davis. It's not, it wasn't John's arm that got, that got him to back-to-back Super Bowls. No, it was a running game. And th- those are proven facts. So when I don't see Pat Shermer call a game where he is utilizing his running backs, even in the passing attacks, sort of like you know, you look at Josh McDaniels and the New England Patriots. They have running backs; they are not that big. But guess what? They use their running backs as receivers. And you telling me with the hands that Melvin Gordon has, you can't set him up in that way? That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I think that that's an interesting discussion right there because I thought Brandon Staley said it the best. And they're they're going to have to go up against a head coach and a quarterback, and Justin Herbert against the Chargers. It's gonna to be tough. I mean the Chiefs are struggling right now. I know the Chargers didn't look good against the Ravens, but the Chargers would be really good long term. And I'm not buying into the Raiders, but Staley said, listen, you can run play action without running the football. It's it's easy to do that. But you run the football to be physical, you know, to wear the other yes. team down. And I wonder I, I wonder I don't feel like Shermer is adopted has adopted that strategy there to wear the other team down. And you'd like to see them run the ball. But ultimately, is he forced into this type of game plan where he needs to throw it? Because you like the up-tempo. You could still run an up-tempo. You can still throw it to the running back in up-tempo. But is he just forced to try and run the ball a lot because of the way the offense is built?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of the idea. This team, you asked before, well, what's the identity of this team? That's still unknown. But based on how they pieced it together, the idea was that, well, we're going to play great defense, we're going to run the ball, we're going to shorten the game, and then we're going to play the four-minute offense where if we have the lead, we're just going to chew and eat up the clock, we're going to wear down the defense. That's how we're going to win games. Now, if you win a game where it is a 40-point you know, victory, or let's just to say 45-42, okay, you know, hey, that's a great game. But if we have to win games where it's, 24, 21, or something like that. We are equipped to win those types of games, but we haven't really seen that. And like you said, you can run play action without handing the ball off because that's the RPOs. That, that, and we have not seen the RPOs in this offense. And that goes back to old school way of thinking. This is the way I've done it for so long. You go back to Pat Shermer, 2017, Case Keenum is his quarterback. I mean, they have the, the Minnesota Miracle, right? Everything was golden for Pat Shermer. That led to him, you know, people talking highly about him and Case Keenum. But those days have, are gone, and you have to have the ability to adjust as a head coach. And as it said, you know, in business and in sports, either you adapt or you die. And right now, both Vic Fangio and Pat Shermer, man, they're looking like uh, they're coming from the Jurassic period, like they're old dinosaurs <laughs> for sure. Yes,
0: <laughs> We got a, a pterodactyl and a brontosaurus. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I don't want to get—I don't want to get personal about this, <laughs> but you know, ultimately, it's a debacle, and it yeah, it wasn't a good—it wasn't a good hire at the time with Fangio, and it's almost impossible, really, to see him getting out of this. One more question about the offense, though: Nick Ferguson. Uh, former safety in the NFL, five years with the Broncos, ten years in the league. Denver radio personality as well. You mentioned something about Cortland Sutton. All right, so Sutton and Fant, two both of them had huge games. I mean, really big games. They both what ninety nine for ninety seven for Fant, eight for ninety four. They both yeah. scored. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of that had to do with game script. But what did you notice from Sutton? Did, because I just with my eyes, I thought the guy had a great uh, a great game. And then I still don't understand why Noah Fant is blocking. I got into this with, with one of the, the, the stats guys, like really big stats guys. I said, "Right, why is Fant sitting here blocking? He's like, well, he didn't block a lot. He was running routes. I, I, no, he's not. I don't, maybe your stats are wrong. <laughs> this guy is blocking. He's not a good blocker. He's being asked to do things that he's not good at. And he's committing penalties because he's doing things he's not good at, Nick. What are we doing here? Talk to me about Sutton and why is Fant <laughs> – why is
2: he blocking? He just can't do it. Okay, with, with, with Fant, that, that was kind of a big uh, problem with me. This is where coaching and scheming comes in. You don't ask a player to do something that he can't do. And this is one reason that I, I, I love everything about, you know, Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick and what they do with the Patriots. They say, well, they take a guy who most people look at as cast off. He can't do this, but they find out what he can do. That's the joy of being a coach, putting a guy in a position to be successful. And I get it. If you want to run the ball, every, every guy is going to have to be responsible for blocking. That's the offensive line. That is your slot receivers, your tight end, and your receivers outside the numbers. If they're not committed to blocking, it's going to be very difficult to run the ball. And no offense, I said it last year, and the glaring issues are still coming up. He is struggling with blocking. Here's what I see. Sometimes he lunges his arms out and extends his arms out before he even makes contact. And the defender's like, oh, you're going to put your arms up in front of me? Now I'm going to give you a cross shot. And that's what Max Crosby was doing to him yesterday. And if you if, – hold it. If you extend your arms out and I chop, your body weight is going to go forward because when you look at Noah Fant, he doesn't have a solid base. He's always leaning forward. And it happens to offensive linemen, you know, all the time, especially – if you're a guy that leans forward when you block, and then now it is eyes. You have to put your eyes on your target. So what happens is an extension of his arms, his head goes down, he doesn't see the guy that he's blocking, and the guy is able to make a maneuver around. Him. There was one play yesterday. Well, Melvin Gordon was expecting him to make the block. No offense, ran past the guy like he was running a route. And Melvin looked at him like, dude, what are you doing? That's your responsibility. Block your guy, do your job. And when we look at Cortland Sutton, I still don't think Holden, Cortland Sutton is still 100%. But with, Jer- with Jerry Judy being out, KJ Hamler being out, to me, we- we're relying heavily on you know Cortland Sutton to be, be the guy. I-, I can tell because the Broncos receivers, as big as they are, Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, they have uh, an inability at times to create separation. That was the thing that made Jerry Judy so important and as we look at the Broncos offensively now after all this major criticism of Jerry Judy last year he's a boss he dropped so many balls now you appreciate his greatness and his skill set because the ability to separate isn't there now there are a couple of shots down the field that I thought Corlin did a great job of getting past the DB but it is once you get that step on him can you continue to separate and Teddy was trying to throw the ball you know, to actually lead him. Because as a quarterback, you don't want to underthrow a ball where the defender now has an opportunity. You wanted to put out there so the, run, so the receiver can actually run under it. Mm-hmm. Once again, that's why I say, well, when you look at Corlin, he doesn't really have that top-end speed. He never really did. But now with the injury, now he's still lacking in that particular area. But I still think he's one hell of a receiver. But the reason why those numbers for both Fant, and of a were where they were at the end of the game was because the Broncos were behind. Pat Sherman went to kind of a hurry-up, fast-tempo type of offense, and those guys were able to make those receptions. So those numbers are great, but they're a little deceiving, too, at the same time.
0: All right, Nick, let's go over to the defensive side of the ball. So yesterday, 17 QB hits for the Raiders. For, yes. For Denver. So obviously there's issues in the offensive line for the Broncos, but let's go to the defensive line. Are they generating any pressure? Did they get any pressure yesterday on Carr? Yes or no?
2: No, they didn't. When you look at the Broncos' sacks, I think they had two. Uh, one was from Bryce Callahan, and another might have been from, I think, Kareem Jackson. And those are schemed-up blitzes bringing your guys from the back end and nickel position. And for me, when you have to do that, that tells me your guys up front, they're not they're not creating enough pressure. And whether it's Vaughn, Malik Reed, Shelby Harris, Draymond Jones, or uh, some of the other guys, Mike Purcell on the team, they're not winning their one-on-ones. If you go back and watch those games, it's like those guys are not even establishing a new line of scrimmage. I mean, against Baltimore, the game plan was, let's do this mush rush and try to keep Lamar Jackson from running all over us, and that didn't help. Even though you're facing Derek Carr, he's not a Lamar Jackson type of guy, but it just seemed as though that was kind of the idea. It wasn't by choice. It wasn't by game plan. It was based on the fact that your guys couldn't get home. And the one thing about Vaughn, Vaughn created a lot of pressure that ended up in no sacks or quarterback hits. But what they would do to Vaughn is let Vaughn run upfield and just watch him by. Derek Carr, you just step up because there's no one in your face. And usually holding, you think, with an edge rusher like Vaughn, and if I'm running and the tackle is widening me out and the quarterback steps up, he needs to step up to where he's being hit by either Draymond Jones or Shelby Harris. So that didn't happen. And when you're not able to create consistent pressure, it exposes your zone defense in the back. And that's something that Vic Fangio has run since he was with the San Francisco 49ers and the Chicago Bears. But if you can't generate pressure with your just your front four guys, it's going to be a long day in the back end.
0: Yeah, it's it, it really was frustrating watching that yesterday. But I think the bigger issue is the secondary. You know, Darby's back there. He gets burned a couple of times by Rugs. Rugs is a burner, but ultimately it happened too much. Simmons, uh, th- just about everybody in that secondary was getting burned yesterday, right? How much does that have to do with the lack of pressure? And how much does that have to do with them either underachieving? I, I don't want to say they're not talented enough because I right. think they're talented enough. So how much does it have to do with the lack of pass rush?
2: And how much does that just have to do with them playing poorly? Well, Holden, it has nothing to do with talent. We know that this is a talented secondary that's been assembled From Ronald Darby to Kyle Fuller to PS2 to Justin Simmons, Caden Stearns, and, and KJ. The thing is, it's everyone take, having their moments in games. And I can tell you as a guy that played in this league and coached in this league, when that happens, it's not a great thing. Because if everyone every quarter is giving up, taking their turn to giving up an explosive play, to me now you're setting the opposing offense up to score points on you. And Kyle Fuller didn't play. I mean, we paid a lot of money for Kyle Fuller. And this is one of Fangio's guys, and he didn't even start because what happened to him last week against Pittsburgh? But then it happened to Ronald Darby this week against Henry Ruggs. And it's a technique issue, right? It's a clear technique issue. And here's what some teams have already found out. And you find this out if you watch enough film. You get the Broncos and somewhat of a bunch formation. And what happened to where Darby is, not to get too uh, you know, technical here, but they got him in, in, in a bunch formation, and Henry Ruggs was the outside guy. So knowing as though the corner has outside leverage, what do you do? You attack his leverage. So you know he has to maintain outside. So you run two yards at him. So he's going to widen the the more you run at him as a wide receiver. It creates a natural path up the field where no one is even disrupting your route. It happened last week to Kyle Fuller. It happened yesterday to Ronald Darby. And when you're safety, think about Justin Simmons. He was on the left hash, the defensive left hash. And once he saw Kareem Jackson rotate down in the box, the disguise was over. There's no reason to disguise because you have a guy with a, a 4, four, four two type of speed in Henry Ruggs, and you're never going to get over there. In, in the post-game interview, Justin Simmons was kind of asked about that play, and he would just say that he was just a hair late. Had he got there early, maybe it is a batted ball, but more importantly, it's interception. He didn't get off the hash. And this is kind of the problem. This is a very talented group, but communication has been an issue. Uh, There there were times I watched the game where Kareem Jackson is trying to talk to Justin Schrenard, and they're trying to figure out who had what guy, what what defense that they were playing. And I was like, this is too much chaos. And if I'm Vic Fangio, and I know he's a smart guy, here's what he's going to have to do, Holden. He's going to have to pull back and say, you know what, my scheme... And the communication, what I'm asking you guys to do is too complicated. I'm not trying to say you guys are not smart enough, but I want to make it easier for you guys. So I'm going to scale back and make the scheme more simple so you guys can just go out there and execute and stop thinking. Because these guys, in my estimation, watching them, they're thinking entirely too much and they're not reacting.
0: It's, it's rough. It is rough. So real quick, moving to Thursday. Does this defense have enough to get hits on Baker Mayfield if it's just a one-dimensional offense? They could try and run, but if Chubb is still out, Kareem Hunt's going to be out. Um, I don't know if Lyle coming back. It's interesting that they didn't play him. If he comes back, though, that's going to be a much more dynamic offense, So at least passing offense. So all this knowledge that Nick's giving me right now, I'm trying to process and figuring out how we attack this game from a betting standpoint. So... Can the Broncos, the, the, to me, the big question, can the Broncos generate pressure? Can they force Mayfield? And if they can, can they force Mayfield to, in that offense to be a one-dimensional offense? If you're lucky, you'll see Case Keenum because that would mean <coughs> Mayfield's not doing very well. Right. And then the other thing uh, to look at is uh, Landry, a banged-up Odell Beckham, who I'm completely out on, Donovan Peoples-Jones really stepped up. They're going to have to mess with two of those tight ends, though. Hooper and Njoku can take care of things. How does the Denver defense match up with a Browns offense that likely will not have Chubb or Hunt?
2: Well, it makes things easier for the Denver Broncos. Early on in the season, they were tops in the league against the run. Knowing as though, the, the Cleveland Browns stand to be without two of their most dynamic players. You're talking about, you know, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. It makes things easier for the, for the Denver Broncos because now – based on injuries, Cleveland walks in on a short week with one hand tied behind their backs. So if you are Vic Fangio, you're saying, well, this is the perfect setup for us. I mean, the Raiders was the best setup that you can get because they were having internal issues. But from just a a pure roster and talent standpoint, on a short week, this sets up perfectly for the Denver Broncos and not the Cleveland Browns. You mentioned the, the idea of Case Keenum starting in the game. Who knows Case Keenum better than anyone? Pat Shermer, so he'll be able to give the defense some pointers. And with Landry being out and that chemistry not really being there with Odell Beckham Jr., now you're thinking if you're Kevin Tafansky, now you're thinking about using David Njoku and Austin Hooper more in your offense. And now if you're the Broncos, you're saying, okay, this is great. We're facing two dynamic pass-catching tight ends, but we feel as though we can match up well with them now. Here's some, some interesting issues with the Broncos from an injury standpoint. Alexander Johnson left the game yesterday uh, with somewhat of a chess issue. And we saw once he left the game and the reserves came in, that's when Greg Olson said, we're going to run the ball because they can't really stop it. So Vic Fangio and the Broncos, they have some issues of, of their own, but here is the joy of having so many DBs and using Pat Sertan and, and – I, I would say in the offseason at a linebacker position or that nickelback position, you can put both Bryce Callahan and PS2 in the box and allow those two guys to work with David Njoku and Austin Hooper. So they have some answers, but once again, it goes back to Vic Fangio. You're on a short week. What can you really dial up? So this is going to be a very interesting game on both sides of the ball.
0: Yeah, the, the Denver Broncos are definitely getting out coached here. There's no question. But. If Chubb and Hunter out. We're looking at Demetrik Felton and Dearness Johnson. Mm-hmm. We're looking at a banged up Odell Beckham. We'll see if Landry comes back in this game. This is going to be a massively depleted offense in all likelihood. So it'll be up to the Denver defense for me to win this game. It's going to be tough. Uh,
2: the, the Browns are very talented defensively.
0: All right, well, before I let you go, Nick.
2: Yeah, well, sorry, well, I, I, I want—I wanted to add this. Uh, not to cut you off. The mm-hmm. Johnson, I wouldn't really sleep on him because When Nick Chubb had some injuries last year, he had to fill in, and he looked good as well. Because once again, you look look at the blocking scheme, right? It it is the scheme and being able to create the matchups you want as an offensive coordinator. So Kevin Stefanski, trust me, I mean, I I watch him with utilizing Hunt and Chubb. If, If Johnson is in there, that still is going to create some issues for the Broncos, between the tackles and a, as far as the pass catching running back as well
0: all right good stuff now you were out there with shanahan right did you hang out with shanahan a little bit did you see all your teammates it was shanahan's big day <laughs> yeah water's big day the team got booed off the field <laughs> how about you off the field how great was it seeing all your buddies
2: man it, it was a uh, spectacular holding and um uh... You know, when you play this game, you build a lot of relationships. And then after, you know, you retire, uh, guys go their separate ways and you ha- you don't speak to them for years. But when you get together moments like that, it's great. Like, I saw Jason Elam. And Elam and I had the same agent. And I hadn't seen Elam, uh, you might as well say, for almost 14, 15 years. And when I saw him, it was just like, wow, you know, we haven't seen each other in a, in a while, it was just kind of this warm embrace. And I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, <clears throat> the players that showed up, it, it spoke volumes to the type of coach that Mike Shanahan is and was back then because every player came back. They spoke so highly uh, of him. And it, it was just one of those things that made me go back and say, man, I know we can't put the two pace back in the two, but I wish we can all go back for just for, for one more game. And that was the thing that was so upsetting about yesterday was that Mike Shanahan's going into the Ring of Fame. You have all these players coming back. And it, it was I don't know if it was playing this way or it was by coincidence that he goes into the Ring of Fame in the same game you're playing against the Raiders, known as though Al Davis, God rest his soul, still owes Mike Shanahan money, right? And you're like, this sets up perfectly. You go into the Ring of Fame, Big fans during the Broncos, you lose two games. Now you win this game to get back on track against a division rival, and nothing happened. So I felt really sad and disappointed for Coach Shanahan, but I can tell you what, with Kyle and Mike sitting in the stadium, I'm sure both of those guys were looking at one another saying, you know what, we could have called a better game than this. <laughs> you want to talk about guys,
0: you know, they, they were ahead of the game. Uh, You're yeah. not the zone blocking or the, the zone blocking scheme with the running backs. They, they really, they really changed the game, to be honest with you, Nick. Uh, for those of you watching on video, you see Nick's Twitter handle there at the bottom, Nick, uh, very active on Twitter. I recommend, and, and I like the fact you go back and forth with a lot of people too at Nick Ferguson, F E R G U S O N. So at Nick Ferguson, underscore 25. Nick, thank you so much for this. Wonderful to see you again. Hope we can do this uh, next week as well. And going forward, you take care of yourself, buddy.
2: All right, man. Thank you, Holden.
0: All right, so that's great stuff from Nick. And what I'm going to do is have these guests on. And from the information they give us, because, you know, Nick's dialed in with the Broncos. He was hanging out with them yesterday. From the information we get from these guests, I'm going to try and apply that to help us bet these games. Now, at Bet Rivers right now, Uh, Here's the lines Broncos plus four and a half as you hear this. So if you're listening on Monday plus four and a half, the total in this game is 42 and a half. Again, Broncos offense struggling. I think there's still a notion that the Broncos defense is elite. They have not been these last three games, the first three games against garbage opponents, tremendous last three games, pedestrian, pedestrian, Uh, just talked about it with Nick. So That's the first thing. And then the other side of things, if you actually think the Broncos are going to win, plus 170 is one hell of a nice line there. So here's what I did. I just laid down a bet. I am not a big teaser guy. And for those of you that don't know what a teaser is, there's six-point teasers, six-and-a-half, seven-point teasers. So as an example, the Broncos plus four-and-a-half points. Well, if I do a six-point teaser, first of all, I'm going through key numbers, and I take them from four-and-a-half to 10 and a half. So now I'm getting 10 and a half points for the Broncos. So if they lose by 10 points or less, I still win. I still win that bet. And what I do, because you're not going to get, you, you got to put other teams in there, at least one other. We got the bills money, money line, because they're six point favorites. I tease them down to a money line. So we're getting six points there. All the bills have to do is win the Broncos lose by 10 points or less, or just flat out win. And then the Panthers, I also threw them at plus three and a half, taking on the Giants. So they are favored, but I took the six points and I put it there. So it's a Denver plus ten and a half, Bills money line, Panthers plus three and a half, and that is plus 140 at Bet River. So you put down $10, you win 14. Not a big teaser, guy, but again, I think this is going to be a really, really interesting. Um, game from the standpoint as I sit here on Monday, there's going to be so many more developments. We're going to find out about Nick Chubb if he can bounce back. Doesn't look like he's going to. So it's going to be no Chubb, no Hunt, the Ernest Johnson. I would not have thought to think about the Ernest Johnson. Nick comes on and says, i seen this guy. He can run pretty well. So, I'll do some research when I come back on Wednesday. We should have some player props there for the Broncos and the Browns. That is one guy that I will definitely look at. We look at the totals here. This, first of all, it's a Thursday night game. They're ugly. Um, you see a lot of unders. 42 and a half is low, though. I mean, you're, when you're looking at 42 and a half, you're doing what? 24-17. Uh, that would be 41 points, all right? If you think it's a 20, maybe a 21-14, something like that, a 21-20. Low scoring game at 42 points. All right, 42 points you're getting, over 42 minus 122, even money under 42. Leaning, just a little lean toward 42. If you want that hook, I love a hook. Love a good hook. And you're getting an extra half point either added or subtracted here, 42 and a half. So if we take the half a point, it's over 42 and a half, fine. We're gonna need to score one more point At minus 115, you might as well take the minus 122. It's not that much difference in juice. I'm looking here under 42, under 42 and a half, under 42 plus 100. Give me that hook at 42 and a half at minus 105. Minus 105 would be the way if we go under. But again, I'll dig in later today. I'll dig in more on Tuesday. And then really by Wednesday, we should have a good idea of what we're going to see on Thursday night. Um, Okay, one more thing I want to get to. Very excited about the NBA season starting up. And I want to give some some quick thoughts here on the Denver Nuggets. Um, The Nuggets, you know, defensively, I think when I look at this team, it was like smoke and mirrors. Like they were 12th in defensive efficiency, but it didn't seem like they could really guard the rim last year. So you'd like to see uh, quite a bit of an improvement there. Obviously, Jamal Murray being out until at least the All-Star game probably won't be 100% this year. But, you know, you take 80, 85, 90% of Jamal Murray and you plug him in, then this offense is really going to take off because they extended MPJ. And Porter Jr., maybe the best thing for his career was Jamal Murray being out. Maybe not the best thing for the Nuggets, but the best thing for his career. Because now you got Jokic, you got Porter who could score, you got Murray who could score. There were times last year when that team just sat down and really didn't have much to do uh, offensively. You know, you get, if it's not Jokic and Porter wasn't shooting the ball well, where were they getting points from? So you'll get Murray back this year. Let me read off the, the, uh, the numbers. And I'll have Nate Kreckman uh, from uh, 92.5, one of the, the Kroenke stations. So he works for uh, Kroenke, who's the owner of the Nuggets. And those of you that live here, you know that if you're listening on a national level, you don't know that, but he'll be honest. He's a guy that, that, that's very straightforward. Nuggets team win total, 47 and a half. I actually had them peg 49, 50 wins. So if you want to go over, minus 115, under minus 106. Um, nuggets, plus 300 to win the division. That's interesting. If you think they can beat the Jazz here, because the Jazz, Utah's minus 278. That might be a nice little value play, at plus 300, if you think the Nuggets are as good as Utah and could perform that way. I don't think they are. But it's something to consider and something we'll dive into on our preview coming up on Wednesday. Jokic plus 1,600 to repeat as MVP. I'm not doing that. That's the line on Bet Rivers. Very tough to go back-to-back. And last year, I don't want to say that it was by default because it wasn't. Jokic was spectacular, but there were some pretty big names that were injured, and they weren't going to give the MVP to Giannis for three straight years. I don't like that bet. But here's the bet I like, too. Again, I think Wednesday we'll talk about it. Michael Porter Jr. plus 1200 second best odds to be the most improved player in the league. Jordan Poole at plus 800. I kind of like that MPJ at plus 1200. So we'll discuss that. Want to thank uh, everybody listening first of all. Tell your friends if you get a chance. Uh, thank you for listening to the Denver City Cast. It's wonderful to have this opportunity to work with Bet Rivers and to work with Vison as well. And then again on Wednesday I'm going to have a uh, couple of guests coming on. guy Play played Colorado, uh, one of the betting news services. I'll give you a little insight into what's going on here in Colorado. And, and I think I have to ask my guy, Ian, uh, why ping pong is so big here. Table tennis is big in Colorado. It's fascinating. Uh, also, a Nuggets preview. And then I will give you my thoughts on the bets that I'm looking at heading into Thursday night football with the Broncos and the Browns. I'm Holden Kushner. Again, thank you so much for tuning in to listen to the Denver City Cast.
1: Looking for a hot tip to bet on? Check out the new match tips at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. The new tips feature gives you special insights on player props and match bets for the top tips of the day. Go to Bet Rivers before the game, find your match, and tap the tips icon to see independent research on recent team and player performance. Bet with confidence. Visit the Bet Rivers mobile app or go to betrivers.com and get the top tips of the day. Must be 21 gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler. Playable only in states where Bet Rivers is licensed and in New Jersey at Play Sugar House. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started the Big Take DC. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. Every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Moson. And I'm David Gura. Listen to the big take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday Podcast. In my twenties, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple.